David and Goliath, that's what it feels a lot of time, I think, in a lot of our businesses, right? So I know I go compete against these huge companies, billion-dollar companies, brand-name recognition, um, and who we are. We're, we're diesel laptops trying to grow our thing. Um, where I'm going with that is this is how change happens, right? I think we're creating some positive impact. We're changing some things. The interview you're about to listen to or watch um, is about right to repair. And what it really starts with isn't isn't Kevin who you're going to meet. It isn't me. It's it's you. <laughs> so that's where that's where change starts. And it's oftentimes very difficult to have something that we know is right. We know it'll better our lives. We know a lot of good will come out of it. But you have people with some pretty deep pockets that are fighting against it for their best interests, which are not the interest of the general population. And that's really what right to repair comes down to uh, a lot of times. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. We're mainly going to talk about farm tractors and agriculture, but it really applies to commercial truck, automotive, phones, appliances in your house, um, all these things. And it goes beyond just giving you the consumer the right it goes to the the positives that come out with, with it as well. Just imagine if this phone that we have could actually work for more than a couple of years. We could keep, we could keep using it and repairing it or change the battery on it, right? Um, it's it's amazing how much that impact those things have. These small changes have on on everyone's lives. So in, enjoy the episode. I really encourage you to to learn more. Reach out to Kevin. He's gonna talk about repair.org. He's gonna talk about his organization. A lot of people fighting for this. They need all the help and support they can get. Get involved. If anything, get involved. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, 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 everyone, to another episode of the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. And today we're going to talk about all kinds of things. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation that we have going on here. And it's probably with an association you never heard of. Maybe you have. I, I hadn't heard of them. Uh, but as I dug in, I'm like, man, their, their interests really line up with a lot of my interests and a lot of things that we're trying to accomplish here in, in, in our world. Uh, so I thought it'd be great to bring them on uh, for an episode. So uh, I'd like to welcome on Kevin. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. He's with Perg. And I'd love for you to like just, man, just who is Perg? Like people probably never even heard of it, right? So let's just start there. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, so my name is Kevin O'Reilly. I'm the Right to Repair Campaign Director with uh, US PERG or the Public Interest Research Group. And PERG, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest advocacy organization. And you know, as what that means in simple terms is that we like to look at ourselves as your advocate for the public interest. So at every level of government, whether that is municipal, whether that's the state legislature or um, in DC and in Congress. Um, we are working to advance issues surrounding things like consumer protection, um, environmental protection, public health, good governance, transparency, those kind of things to really stand up to many of the powerful interests that uh, can influence the, the laws that affect our lives. We want to make sure that the public interest has an advocate in there. So we, we try to do that work as, as best as we can. So anytime people use the words non you know, non nonprofit and, you know, there's obviously political stuff that happens here, right, with what you're doing with Right to Repair, I, you know, everyone kind of like traces it back to the money. OK, like, well, who's who's paying for this? So if you could kind of clear the air there so people have an understanding of of who you're really fighting for and the kind of the funding side of this thing. 
Totally. Well, if we're going to be the advocate for the public interest, that means that we can't uh, feel like we have any ties or needs to uh, oppress or impress or uh, appease any sort of corporation. So we don't take any sort of corporate money. Um, the vast majority of our funding comes from, you know, small donors who maybe donate 25 to $75. Um, and we like that because it allows us to be truly independent, to make decisions and carry out actions that are truly going to be best for the public interest rather than, you know, best for whoever um, is signing our checks. So uh, we look at ourselves as responsible to the people who are, you know, uh, finding a way to give that little bit of money maybe every month uh, to support our work. All right. So right to repair. I've had I've had some people on here that are, you know, they're I mean, they're they're neck deep in it. Right. Like they're they're out there fighting the legal battlefronts and the Massachusetts thing and all these things. And I think I think right to repair is a big thing. Right. Because we can sit here and talk about commercial truck repair, automotive repair, off highway repair, phones, get a, a phones and apples, a lightning rod. We just saw the European Union say, hey, everyone's got to, at least you have a USB-C charger, no more lightning connectors for you, Apple. People are trying to trying to make the consumer's life easier. So where, where, what are you doing or what, what industry or segment, I guess, are you focused in, in on the right to repair side of this? Yeah. So at Perk, you know, we, really focus, I think, across three or four main industries, right? So we're looking at consumer technology, like you talked about, cell phones, laptops, all of these things that uh, might be glued together rather than using fasteners. They uh, do things that make it dip more difficult for us to take apart our phones, to replace the battery, to do those kind of things. And that means we've got, right, this mountain of e-waste that we're producing. Uh, in the United States, we actually throw away 636,000 cell phones every single day. Um, so that's that's a big impact on the environment, right? In addition to that, we focus a lot. A lot of our work is uh, working with farmers and uh, trying to make sure that we can pass laws so that they can fix their tractors, their combines, their sprayers, everything that they use across the farm. Because similar to you know the on highway equipment uh, that you deal with, right? There is software uh, and there's software tools required to make repairs these days. So farmers who have for generations been finding a way to get the job done regardless of when their tractor breaks down are now sitting with a you know ton of metal that's basically a paperweight in the field because they don't have access to the right tools. So we do that work. And then there's also other, other industries as well. There's home appliances. Um, I don't know if you've seen, there actually was a Samsung refrigerator that you had to uh, get a special software approval just to change the water filter. Um, there are big problems in, in the medical device industry as well everything from ventilators to dialysis machines to CT scans. Um, unfortunately, many of these same kind of restrictive um, practices are carried out by manufacturers so that they can continue to you know, monopolize the repair market. They can uh, rely on that revenue stream to come through. And in the case of some of our consumer devices, get you to buy new devices faster. Yeah, and I, I think you hit a really good point there when going back to the cell phone thing for a second, right? Like over six hundred thousand phones a day. If if people realize how much how much like mining and transportation and effort it takes to make one cell phone that ends up getting thrown away two or three years later. I mean, it's it's hard to just even replace a battery on a on a cell phone, right? Like, oh, buy the new model. Like and and, and I I get it. And I I, I 
I, again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a huge, huge fan of the EPA. But on the other hand, I my company really exists because of the EPA. So I got to give them a lot of credit. And I want a greener earth and I want my kids to be able to breathe, you know, 40, 50, 60 years from now and, and all these things. So they, they're, they're more related, I think, than a lot of people realize out there. It's not just, yeah, we want the right to choose what to work on. But we also understand there's a huge environmental impact. It was like kind of mind blowing. One of the stats I got off one of the reports in there, um, it was something around, you know, you know, vehicle emissions in the United States. Right. It's like 20. It's like the biggest pollutant in the United States. It's almost and another set that blew my mind. It was actually like four percent of the entire global emissions are coming from the U.S. transportation industry. So as much as we like to think, hey, we're the clean guys over here and all right. these laws are oppressing us. We're still pretty, pretty bad at it. And we're a big country and we're, we're, you know, causing some problems out there. But going back to the right to repair on the ag side, is this, is this just John Deere? Is this everybody? Like where, what are you guys seeing? And I know John Deere's the lightning rod. I'm just kind of curious if you're seeing other companies get involved in that process. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I've talked with dozens and dozens of farmers across country. And unfortunately, the fact is, is that uh, whether your machine is, you know, green, orange, red, um, there are still these kind of restrictions that exist for, for fixing your own equipment. So the fact of the matter is, is more likely than not, if it's got software in it, uh, you're not going to be able to make every single repair yourself. You're going to have to turn to the dealer uh, in many cases. And so I think John Deere, right, um, gets a lot of the attention because in many cases, they're the most technologically advanced. Um, they've got more sensors in their combine than competitors. They've got you know, some kind of uh, further down the road advancements. And as a result, often have further down the road uh, technological um, restrictions on on fixing your stuff. Um, but also they're, they're huge, right? I mean, it's, they control 53% of the large tractor market in the United States. So they are the big dog. They are um, kind of the cultural big dog as well in, in uh, rural America. So, um, you know, a lot has come against them, but Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is it's not like farmers could just go to a Case IH dealership, buy a new machine, and all of a sudden be uh, able to, to fix their tractor. And that's why legislative change is so important, right? The, the fact of the matter is, I think, between uh, CNH Industrial, uh, John Deere, and Agco, uh, they control something like 90% of the agricultural equipment market in the United States. And each of them have their own kind of repair restrictions, very similar to um, you know, each of their competitors, but you can't just go buy a different machine and all of a sudden be able to fix it. Uh, we need this legislative change so that the parts, the tools, the information, the software tools are all are available to farmers, to independent mechanics on fair and reasonable terms so that repair choices actually exist so that farmers can get the repair relief that they need, that they're asking for, and that they're raising the flag about. So at, at PERG, how are you guys helping, right? Is it is it awareness? Is it helping helping on the political battlefront? Like where where do you guys do? Like what is it is a grassroots thing? Like what how are you helping move that cause? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to do everything we can to win this progress to make the change. And so, you know, at the beginning of the of the day, we look and we see what's the quickest way to do it. We often will first go to the manufacturer or go, go to our target to ask them, hey, this is the right thing to do. Will you do it? In the event that they don't, then we kick up the advocacy machine, right? So a couple of the things you mentioned are, are kind of key to our approach. So for one, we're going to do the research. We're going to find out the ways that this problem is affecting people. So 
Um, you know, earlier this year, I released a report looking at how this sweeping trend of dealership consolidation is making uh, the problems of repair restrictions even worse for farmers. I actually found that there's essentially one John Deere dealership chain for every uh, more than, I think for every 12,000 uh, American farms and every 5.3 million acres of American farmland. So you don't have choices even within that uh, monopoly. It's like a monopoly inside of a monopoly, essentially. So we do that kind of research to get the facts out there. We go and do grassroots work, right? We go to the people who are affected, make sure that their stories are um, shared with decision makers, with the media, because we want to win you know, the battle in the court of public opinion and help people understand the impacts that these kind of problems have on not only farmers' lives, but their lives, what it means for their ability to you know, get affordable groceries at, at, in the grocery aisle. Um, and then we do go and we, we work to influence uh, uh, lawmakers at, at every level, right? So we're, we're going to be in the building, in your state house in D.C., um, knocking on folks' doors, recruiting champions to uh, introduce legislation, and then doing everything we can to bring the public in, right? Bringing that grassroots presence into the halls of power, to make sure that uh, our decision makers know that this is something that that people want. And in the case of right to repair, right, this is absolutely something that people want. I don't know if you've seen some of the polling, but something like 76% of Americans support right to repair and majorities of Republicans, independents and Democrats all support this idea. In many cases, the people who um, don't support it just don't know about it. And once they learn about it, it's something that they support. So I think you know, getting the word out is is one of the most important things, but then uh, taking and building, um, you know, momentum and, and grassroots uh, support is, is key to actually getting the job done at the end of the day. Well, if there's one thing I learned about our political system is if the right and the left can find a common enemy, they, they, are, they are hell-bent to work together to go, to go after that, right? So, like, I, I know, and just explain to the audience here, because you might not, you know, follow Right to Repair since in the previous episodes. Um, John Deere is definitely the lightning rod with this. They've basically taken the stance several years ago, the Millennium Digital Copyright Act, I think is where it all started, really. And they basically said, look, you bought my tractor, but you don't own the rights to any of the software on the tractor. You're, you're basically renting that software. We still own the software. So therefore, you you can't do any of these things to it because it's our software, our intellectual property. And they've made some crazy acquisitions saying, well, if we give you access, you're going to pirate the latest, you know, Britney Spears song or whatever. It, it's just these ridiculous arguments that they that they make and probably show my age there by using a Britney Spears reference for music. <laughs> but that that is that is the, the arguments they're making. And and you're absolutely right. Uh, everything I'm hearing, Kevin, it's it's the fact that the general public wants this. Right. So. And I know there's a lot of people say right to repair. They think Massachusetts, the automotive thing and everything. Um, but the farmers, like the state level, have the states not stepped in? I mean, I got to imagine like Nebraska, like, right? They, they got to be just like beating the door down to their lawmakers. Like, this is BS. Do something at the state level. It's hard to get a federal level to do anything at all. A lot of these things start at the state level. So have you seen lawsuits? Have you seen things starting to happen kind of at the state level that's starting to really drive change and even keep pushing, pushing this even harder? Yeah, well, so we, we have seen level in the courts. We've seen things at the state level. We've even seen, you know, some progress at the federal level as well. And I think, you know, the important thing to note is that this is happening because there are farmers who are fed up. There are independent mechanics who are fed up, who are speaking out, telling kind of their story about how this problem is happening. And then, you know, it just makes sense, right? Farmers should be able to fix their stuff. They should have repair choices. And so 
people naturally agree with that. And that's what's kind of built this momentum. But there's a number of different things, right? So for one, um, there have been so far in the courts, 17 different uh, class action lawsuits brought against John Deere uh, for their repair restrictions, right? And basically what the farmers are arguing there is that, uh, you know, th this is causing them financial harm, whether it's paying for additional, um, you know, higher prices for the dealership mechanics labor um, because there's no competition. They have to go there so they can essentially charge what they want. Also, downtime, right? So I've spoken to farmers who have uh, faced as much as, you know, six weeks or 32 days of downtime because there was a problem in this case with um, one farmer from Missouri. His uh, fertilizer spreader had a problem with the hydraulic issue. But uh, unfortunately, Jared, the farmer didn't know that. He just got an error code. It shut down his tractor. He had to haul it in, uh, load it on a truck, haul it into the dealer. It sat there full of fertilizer for 32 days before the problem was finally fixed. He found out it was just a problem with one of the valves. It was a repair he thinks he could have done in a matter of a day or two um, rather than waiting that long, right? And he estimates that he loses somewhere like ten dollars to $15,000 uh, every day he doesn't get seed in the ground. That happened during planting season, right? So they're saying between the higher labor rates and the downtime that is affecting our, our crop or, you know, causing us to lose our crop, uh, you're costing us millions of dollars. And so those cases have all been consolidated now. They're going to be um, heard uh, in one of the district courts in, in Illinois. Um, but there's also been, you know, 40 different states who have taken up some sort of rights repair legislation. Um, this past year, I think there were 22 overall and something like 12 uh, considered um, at included agricultural equipment. So one of the big places that we saw a lot of progress was in Nebraska, like you mentioned, um, thanks to Senator Tom Brandt, who, you know, was the, the champion on that bill, who did a lot of good work uh, moving the issue forward, uh, bringing farmers into the legislative process and decision-making process. Um, and that bill made it all the way to the floor. Uh, if it would have passed out of the Nebraska Senate, it would have went to uh, the governor's desk for a signature to become law, but unfortunately, um, it was it was filibustered at the last minute um, and was unable to move on. So, you know, still some work to do, and you know, politics can be tough. But um, the last thing I want to mention too, right, or a couple other things and a couple other angles that we're pursuing to try and get this done for farmers is um, Senator John Tester from Montana has introduced the Agricultural Rights Repair Act. Um, he is a farmer himself. He when he goes home on the weekends, he is out, you know, working on his tractor, doing the work himself. So he knows as well as anybody what what farmers are facing out there. Um, and he's been a really great champion, you know, working to try and make sure to get bipartisan um, support. And then the last thing, too, right, is in many cases, you can do things for the courts or through uh, legislative bodies. But um, we've also, along with, you know, National Farmers Union, Farm Action, Repair.org, so a mixture of farm groups and uh, repair, pro repair groups filed. We filed a complaint with the FTC, um, essentially alleging that John Deere has monopolized the uh, repair process and talking about um, all the work that uh, they've done there. So, you know, the Federal Trade Commission uh, is our competition authority and they can come in and take action, uh, you know, and, and decide that this is an unfair and deceptive practice, that this is a tying arrangement where you have to get drawn in, you have to keep paying whoever you uh, bought your thing from uh, on a consistent basis in order to keep using that device. Um, so 
we've got a lot of irons in the fire and we feel like, you know, to mix metaphors here, the, the, the uh, iron is hot, so we need to strike. And so we're really excited about this coming year of 2023 and think it'll be the year that we will finally, you know, win some sort of progress towards getting farmers the right to repair. Yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, I have like relatives sending me right to repair stuff about John Deere, right? <laughs> like like that, that wasn't happening two or three years ago. Like you can tell it's more more mainstream media. People understand what that means now when you say right to repair. It's just it's becoming more of a public consciousness thing, I, I believe, at this point, because people get it. Expect, and probably starts with the phones, right? And all these other things that people are upset about, like, what do you make it to buy a new phone? Well, what do you think about the guy that's got to buy a new $500,000 tractor? Because, because he can't get the part. They don't make the parts anymore. <laughs> Sorry, they're taking out mortgages on this equipment and they're being told, oh, you're not, you're not, you know, smart enough to figure out how to fix this advanced equipment. There was a, a public hearing in, in North Carolina last week. They're investigating the issue. And uh, one of the chairs, the senator said, you know, if you're smart enough to write a $500,000 check, I think you're smart enough to fix your own tractor. And I, I couldn't agree more <laughs> with that. No, I, I 100% agree. And I, I think, you know, we're talking right to repair in this regard with farmers and agriculture. I can tell the audience the story that just happened this last year, and it had to do with emission systems on trucks. Um, there's a critical component on there that controls the DEF that, that is injected into the emission system to reduce the emissions, right? Um, well, that particular component, because supply chain shortages, couldn't be manufactured or supplied. Well, guess what if your truck fails on your truck? your emission system stops and your truck's derated and you can't use your truck. So all of a sudden, several manufacturers found themselves in situations with tens and tens of thousands of customers without, without the component and their truck was unusable. And they had to go get approval from the EPA to essentially do like a factory emission delete to, to get, get through the situation. And, the, and the, you look back at it and the whole problem is to begin with, guys, like you, you put all this intellectual property and all these things on it and filed all these patents aftermarket can't even make it if they wanted to <laughs> like like you put yourself in this bad situation um and i, I know people need to I, I don't get me wrong businesses need to have a profit i need to have a profit to stay in business and and keep growing my business we we all get that um but sometimes that line just gets really crossed so it's great to see you know what perg's doing and other companies to try to try to help that cause um and i want to go back to like nebraska or, or illinois right a lot of farming a lot of lawsuits and everything going on there consolidated um, and I, I made the comment earlier, like, well, farmers got to be like beating down the doors, essentially these lawmakers like do this, but I got to imagine John Deere, Agco, all these other companies, they're throwing money at these senators for their campaigns and, and doing their side of it too. Um, are, are you, how are you feeling about 2023? Is it, do you think, do you think things are going to start happening? Is the momentum still going in the right direction? I mean, to start, Tyler, you're absolutely right that, uh, manufacturers have a ton of money to, to throw at this and they're able to, uh, just flood state houses with lobbyists, right? That was one joke that um, an ally of mine in Nebraska made was, you know, essentially next year, if they bring this up again, they're going to have to expand the Capitol Rotunda so that they can fit all the John Deere lobbyists in there. Um, but despite, you know, going up against these just really titans of industry, right? Whether it's in the agricultural field of um, with John Deere and ACO and CNH or, um, you know, consumer devices, Apple, Amazon, Google, right? These are massive, massive companies with lots of um, resources to pour into this. At the end of the day, though, it's it's the outrage that comes from real people who are dealing with this problem. And it's a common sense problem with a common sense solution of just let people fix their stuff. So what we're excited about, right, to the point you were saying, you know, you're getting right to repair articles sent to you. I think it's becoming more aware of uh, kind of 
maybe not necessarily a kitchen table issue, but it's something that people understand, something that people are getting, and more and more people are talking out. In the case of farmers, right, many of them fear retaliation from their local dealership. They're afraid that if they go on the record, that if they talk to the press, that their dealership will start stop selling them parts. And I heard from one who literally had to go cross state lines go to go to another dealership and use a fake name in order to buy the tractor, right? So it's 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 scary for them to do this but yeah. i think there's a lot of strength in numbers and more and more people are coming forward they're sharing their story um they're being courageous in that and and fighting for what's right and i think we're now getting to the point where the combination of the public awareness as well as more and more people coming forward and too many stories coming forward for um you know the manufacturers to continue to spread their you know let's say disingenuous to be kind, they're disingenuous arguments of why they need to restrict, restrict repair. Um, I think the truth's going to come through and it's ultimately going to win the day. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take another dig at John Deere. I don't mind. They already sent me some attorney love letters once in a while. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, you know, so they, they finally came out and said, Hey, we're going to make, okay. So just uh, I'll back up a step for the audience here um, to hook up to a John Deere tractor. Typically you need, you need really three things. You need, you need a computer, you need the data link to go between the truck and the laptop, and you need the John Deere software. John Deere refuses to sell the software. So there's bootleg pirated copies of it all over out there, but you still need to buy their $2,500 device, which is which is absolutely insane um, in order in order to do these things. Uh, so, But John Deere finally came out and said, oh, we're going to make John Deere. They, they called it a different name. So John Deere Service Advisor. I think they call it like John Deere Service Advisor Customer or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so they, they, they launch this thing. And all it is is like a code reader. It's like this watered down version that really doesn't do anything. But of course, on the website and the marketing and the press releases, it's like, oh, the software is now available to anybody that wants it, blah, blah, blah. But I guarantee you, and we've tried this. I've called a couple of John Deere dealers. Like, hey, I want to buy Service Advisor. Like, oh, you can't buy that. I'm like, well, I yeah. I saw the press release. It, it says I could, and I know other you know news organizations have done the same thing. So it's really frustrating just to be constantly fighting these big behemoths. And I get it; they're a big organization. They got a lot of dealers, and they, they gotta they gotta get on the same page. But man, it's it's a tough battle out there. It is. It is a tough battle. And yeah, yeah, we, we I partnered with Vice back in 2021 trying to buy this diagnostic software before they made that announcement even though they had a commitment to do it by the beginning of 2021 and they failed to meet that, that their own self-imposed deadline. But um, it is, it, it's tough out there. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that the tools that are provided customer service advisor doesn't allow you to go in and install the, you know, the payload file to authorize the repair at, at the end of the process. You don't get access to other tools in the deer world, like dealer uh, technician assistance center or DTAC where, uh, you have troubleshooting instructions and error logs and, um, you know, known um, uh, product defaults, right, that, are, that have come forward since the, uh, the tractors came off the line. You don't have access to all sorts of information you need to, to fix your stuff. And that's why this, you know, we need to pass a law in order to get this done. But, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, again, we've got the facts on our side. We've got the people on our side. We need to keep bringing people in so that we've got a bigger team to go up against these, you know, big, uh, uh, corporate lobbyists that they can afford. But, um, when you've got the facts, when you've got the people, I think that can, you know, beat any lobbying budget at the end of the day. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's definitely gonna it's definitely gonna happen. I already see what's happening in Massachusetts with the automotive, which tied in HD. I know off highway is not included in that. Another great example. If people think this is hard, uh, like PayPal. Just this week, PayPal's like, hey, twenty five hundred dollar fine for misinformation, right? Is what they said. And then all of a sudden, the the internet went bonkers, and they lost like six billion dollars in valuation overnight and in reverse course. So public outcry goes a lot further than people think. Um, and I, I think this is the point where I'd like to say, hey, if people want to get involved, you know, Kevin, where, where are they going? How do they get involved? How do they help? Can you throw some websites or some information out there? Yeah, so there's a few places. I mean, first of all, you can find me and get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter at, at Kevin underscore O'Reilly 7. Um, and then there's a few other places. You can go to our website. You can go to perg.org and look up our right to repair campaign. You know, we've got a number of petitions that you can sign that will get you involved. Um, the other place to, to go is to uh, repair.org, which is um, they are another nonprofit. They are kind of the digital right to repair coalition that we meet under um, and a huge, huge ally of ours and partner in ours in this campaign. Um, if you go to, you know, yourstate.repair.org, uh, there's a particular petition that you can sign uh, that will then send to your state legislators. Uh, even if you want to, in many cases, a call is better than a, uh, a letter. So uh, it will, we've got a whole, you know, uh, online uh, system where you put in your number and it'll connect you with uh, your legislator's office. So for example, if you live in Oklahoma, it will be oklahoma.repair.org. Whatever state is your state is a good place to go find that. Well, Kevin, I, I really appreciate you coming on here, being able to uh, talk through this with us. It's an important subject. Um, uh, glad, I, glad I met you. Glad to learn about your organization. And I'm glad we have people out there like you and your, your team members out there fighting for what we all want, right? I know a lot of times the American people or people just don't say it, but we know people that are fighting for things that are important. So thank you for coming on the show. We're going to call this one a wrap for everybody on here. And remember, it's not just diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. And you got to also have repair, right to repair. It's an important piece of the puzzle, no matter what you have from that thing in your pocket, that half million dollar tractor that's putting food on your table. Uh, these are all important things to every single uh, every single American that's listening to this video, even Canadian, any, anybody in that regard. So thank you for watching, listening. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Get in touch with Kevin. Do some donations. Love what you guys are doing. Thank you for watching listening, everybody.